Hello and welcome to the Victory Alabang podcast. You're listening to a message from our preaching series entitled One More. Together we'll discover what the Word of God says about money and how the right understanding can help us live a life of greater faith, contentment, and generosity. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Great! I hope that you are all expectant. We are uh, opening up a new series entitled Want More. Can you ask your neighbor, want more? Want more what? <laughs> Maybe that's a question. Want more what? Uh, we are going to uh, study the teachings of, let me just organize here, the teachings of Paul and his admonition and uh, exhortation to his apprentice, young Timothy, uh, in the next three weeks. And uh, I hope that we will all uh, learn from from this. Uh, you know, in the world that we live in, we are all somehow uh, bombarded by all the advertisements, all the lures of wealth, all the you know invitation to make your life better, make your life easy, uh, pursue this uh, you know particular uh, job, occupation, or vocation. And um, you know the reason why people today are ending up wanting more in their life. They want to have more, more stuff, more expectation, more things. Uh, but yet the Apostle Paul warned, you know, the uh, church in Ephesus, particularly even uh, to us today in our modern church, that ultimately God is the one who is a true source. Amen. He is the one that can give us satisfaction. He is the one that can bring about, uh, you know, uh, provision that we, we need. And I believe that, how many of you are believing God for a provision? Please raise your hand. And that's great. You know, God, how many of you, God provides for all our needs? Amen. And so, I'm not talking about not praying anymore. In fact, we just prayed for things. We just prayed for healing. But, you know, I want us in the next three weeks to, you know, put our hearts under the microscope of the Holy Spirit and ask, Lord, how's my heart? You know, how's, how are things? How are we? You know, is this my uh, desire to have more in life? Or do I really want more of you in my life? You know, if you ask people today, you know, are you greedy? How many of you know that people will say, of course not. You know, it's, it's hard for us to admit that we're greedy, right? But, you know, because it hurts. You know, it, it's, it, there's, there's something that strikes to the core of our being, you know, that talks about, you know, I'm not greedy. I, I'm, you know, I trust God and, you know, I, I want to give. But somehow, uh, you know, unconsciously we, we do things. You know, I was listening to the radio last week. I don't do this normally, but somehow I just opened up the radio. I was driving. And I, I heard in a talk show about the, you know, the end of this particular decade. How many of you know that our decade is ending already? 2010 to 2019, it's, it's over. This decade that started in 2010 is about to end in about two months. And we're about to start a new decade, 2020. How many of you know that it's nice to get married in 2020? So if you're engaged right now, I suggest, okay, February 20, 2020. Wow, ganda nun, Maganda yung pangano, pang Instagram, okay? Two, two, zero, two, zero, two, zero. Anyway, so... Uh, so, so we're about to begin a new decade. And so this host, we're asking the, 
listeners to call in and he's telling them or they're telling the, the, the people listening to the radio to call and basically give a summary of this decade that's about to end. So how many of you know that there are so many things that happened in this decade? 2010 to 20, you know, 19. And some of the calls that they received are, you know, this has been the decade of selfies. Now in, you know, I think the new product of iPhone, you know how, you know how I have a slow fee. Hindi lang selfie, may slow motion fee pa. You know, another caller said that this is the decade of YouTube. Of course, YouTube is not new. But somehow, he clarified that this is a decade of YouTube content creators. There's so many young people nowadays that have been discovered just by putting their face and their acting or their work on YouTube, whether you're a travel blog, uh, you know, travel blogger or a food blogger or whatever, or maybe somebody who's into, you know, uh, personal stuff, it became your uh, decade. And so another uh, talked about uh, social media, the rise of, of course, you know, the, you know somehow the, the, the business of the people, they're there, but they're not there. You know, how many of you see people in a restaurant sitting together, they're having fellowship, but they're really texting one another while they're sitting down. That's the way to communicate. You know, they're, they're there, but they're not present. They're not engaged. But yet I believe that one of the things that another guy said, you know, I believe that this decade is really can be summed up by online shopping. Online shopping. How many of you agree with me on that? How many of you have actually purchased stuff from Amazon, Lazada, Shopee? Please raise your hand. You've actually ordered something from the internet and actually been delivered to your house. Okay? Some of us did that. How many of you love going to the malls and still shop there in the malls? Grocery, doing grocery or shop in the mall? Okay? Because of, I guess, the, the advent of, you know, traffic, safety, people opted to you know, uh, order online. Uh, truth be told, even my daughters actually have tried using my account in Lazada. I just, I'm surprised one day that there's a delivery in the house and I have to pay for it. <laughs> okay, lang kayo. You know, and, uh, you know, these are some of the things. We saw the, the, the dawning, you know, one of the richest men now in the, actually the richest man in the world now is uh, Jeff Bezos. The very first uh, centi-billionaire. He actually, last year, 2018, he actually broke the 100 billion barrier of the richest people on planet Earth, overtaking uh, you know, Microsoft founder Bill Gates and uh, even Warren Buffett. Uh, his net worth right now is about 131 billion U.S. dollars. Simply the richest person on the planet, and his product, online shopping. You buy books, you buy stuff. When I went to the States, I saw some department stores that are closing and could not keep up with the onslaught of the surge of the popularity of the online shopping. So, nothing wrong with shopping online, but... 
what is this doing to us? You know, we, ha we have to sometimes check our hearts because, you know, you already have this stuff and then because you saw it, it's discounted, Lazada 9.99. And then you still say to yourself, I need this. I want more of this. Don't even raise your hand if you did that. My question for us this morning, is it wrong to want more? What's wrong with aspiring for better things in life? What's wrong with wanting to be promoted in your work or in your business? What's wrong with moving to the corner office eventually because you know that you are called to be eventually the vice president or the president of the company that you're working in? What's wrong with that? Isn't the Bible clear that when, he, when God blesses his people, that we are to be the head and not the tail, that we are to be above and not beneath, that we are to be blessed in every way? Yes, it did say that. But I think it ultimately falls to the motive of our hearts, right? I, have, I believe that there's no problem praying for you know, provision. God has no problem giving us the things that we need. But I guess if we're too consumed about that and our heart changes already, then, then we need to go before the Lord and say, God, this has become an idol in my life. Some of us really think, you know, I thought God wants me to be rich. Yes, God wants you to be blessed, but maybe a, another question for us is, is it a sin not to be rich? Is not being rich a sign of a curse? Is not being rich a sign of not obeying God? So these are some of the things that we want to unpack, uh, unpack today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 to 12. Let's begin in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Everybody say godliness. He is puffed up with conceit. And understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Everybody say godliness again. In verse 6, it says, now there is great gain in godliness with what? Contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Let's read verse 10 altogether. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Or in other translation, many griefs. In verse 11, let's read together till verse 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the word 
of the Lord. Father, we thank you so much once again for this time to study the Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this is a letter, as I said earlier, a letter of Paul to Timothy. It's titled Timothy. Uh, we have two letters to Timothy. Timothy happens to be his apprentice, his uh, young pastor that he actually sent to Ephesus. And what he did was, you know, he's making a list, not checking it twice, okay? <laughs> but he's making a list on what to do in the church as the new pastor in this fledging congregation. You are a young pastor, but yet some of the people that you are leading are older than you and maybe more professional than you. Ephesus happens to be one of the more influential, financially uh, you know, able or stable cities uh, during the time in the Roman Empire. And uh, he is reminding that many of maybe the congregants or the attendees of this church in Ephesus are probably richer than you, well able, beyond the middle class income, people like Alabang, maybe, uh, or uh, you know, people who are influential. And so what he's saying is, remind them on how to live their doctrines. Remind them on how to pursue godliness. Remind them that you know, all these things, yes, they're important, but show them what is really, really important. And so Paul took the time to address uh, the false teachers. And we see that in the, begin in the beginning verses that we have read. Uh, that there's the issue of false teachers who have used their godliness or their form of righteousness in the ministry as a means of financial gains. So he was giving warnings about this. Then he gave a distinction between false teachers and what is it really to have genuine godliness. So I just have three thoughts in this text that we have just read. Number one is godliness as a means of gain. We see them, you know, we see the Apostle Paul distinguishing, you know, the false teachers' uh, desire and motive, which is to use godliness as a way of advancing themselves. Now, in, in those days, the teachers probably, you know, you're, you're thinking, you know, when you talk about a teacher, a teacher is somebody who's got a classroom, somebody's got a pulpit, somebody's got a table, somebody who teaches people, like maybe a class, a group of students. But the teachers in those days, yes, that's one. You go to the synagogue, you have teachers, but you also have teachers that sit down with you in the marketplace, in the public square, they do one-on-one -on -one with you. People who would actually sit down and teach you doctrine, teach you their belief system. They, they somehow disciple you. You are a matethes. You are a student. You are someone who's receiving wisdom from this sage or this wise person. And maybe these teachers have used whatever they have learned from the word as a way of them to advance and have financial gains. Verse 3, we just read this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with Godliness. How many of you know that Jesus has, of course, He is the great teacher and He preached about Godliness. He preached what it means you know, for us to have material wealth. He, he was the one who actually gave us, uh, you know, guidelines about 
ownership, about stewardship. So what, it's, what these teachers are saying is they're contradicting or undermining or maybe sometimes adding on, using or distorting the teachings, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he also talked about, you know, these teachers are puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels, for words. It's easy to spot false teachers during those days. Those who always engage in debates. Those who always open their Bibles in public square and would debate people and would prove to them that they are the ones who are right and the people are the ones who are wrong. They quarrel with words. They produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. These are the teachers that are using their authority on the word, their knowledge, in order to advance their personal agenda. Not only do they want to prove the others that they are better than them, but they also use their godliness. In verse 5, it says, They have constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth. The description of the false teachers is depraved in mind, deprived of truth. It means, depraved means corrupt. What used to be right is now contaminated or corrupted. They started well, but somehow they're not ending well. They're also deprived or robbed of truth. They've believed a lie and now the truth has been stolen from them. You know, preaching and teaching the truth is really powerful because how many of you know that basically truth gives us freedom? And the moment you start speaking lies, it brings people again into bondage. Of course, I, I don't really want to quote this French philosopher who is ungodly, but he said an interesting statement, Voltaire, who criticized Christianity when he was writing things. And he said this, God created man in his own image. He was right there in that particular statement. And now man is returning the favor. What did he mean by this? Basically, man wants to recreate God the way he wants him to be. He's trying to redefine who God is. That God is somehow this understanding being. It's okay to do what you want to do because anyway, he's going to be merciful. We are trying to recreate or redefine who God is. How many of you know that God has his own attributes and he is, our God does not change, amen, like, like man. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent in his ways. But yet sometimes in our desire to be, to advance our own motives, we try to recreate a God in our minds. We want to create a God who approves of our lifestyle and who wants us to live accordingly to our own fleshly desires. We try to ignore some of the qualities of who God is and think that anyway, God's going to understand. God's merciful. God will just close his eyes in this and if I say sorry, he'll forgive me. We want to fit Jesus according to the life that we want to live. We have our own concept of who Jesus is. We want to fit Jesus in our own middle class mentality. Is this really right? More and more Christians all over the world believe that the material prosperity is the right of every believer. 
that somehow God owes us things, that somehow God owes an answer to every prayer that we uttered. Now, don't get me wrong, and I'm not mad at you today. I'm just clarifying what does it mean for us really to serve a God who is calling himself Lord of Lord, King of Kings? Do we tell him to conform to our desires and to our ambitions and to our motives and to our agenda? Or do we do otherwise? Are we supposed to be the ones who would say to him, Lord, because you are God, you are Lord, you are King of Kings, then you call the shots. You are my master and you're my ruler. In the Bible, if you study the whole, you know, book, 66 books and all, you'll find different names of God, about 250 names of God. He's Jehovah, he's uh, El Shaddai, he's Elohim, he's, you know, Rafa, he's Rohi, he's Sidkinu, he's Makedesh, and you all, you see different names of God, but when it comes to finances and wealth, he's only have, he only has one name. His name is Master. Isn't it True that when Jesus was reminding his disciples, you cannot serve both God and money. Either you will be devoted to one or love the other, or you will be, you know, faithful to one and despise the other. He is basically defining God as the master. God is either the master of our life or money is the master of our life. You know, as I look at the teachings of Christ, in the Bible. And there's so many things that he said. In fact, about 2,300 verses in the word about money, finances, possession. He spoke about this topic more than heaven and hell combined. He spoke about this topic more than prayer. He spoke about money and possession more than hell. Because he knew for a fact that money can actually take the place of God in our hearts which is contrary to the first commandment. What's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. You know, worship me only. There's only one God. He's talking about loyalty. He's talking about faithfulness. He's talking about idolatry. Do not have any idols in your heart. And money. How many of you know that money can be an idol in our heart? It can be so subtle that we don't know it, but yet we can be entrapped by it. And that's why Paul was giving a warning to, the, to Timothy. What he said was, be careful of these teachers because they use their godliness as a means to financial gain. And as I have studied this, you know, the teachings of Christ, as I was saying, it is kind of hard for us to find in the Bible wherein there's a statement that Jesus said to his disciples I want you to be rich. Is there a, you know, I may be wrong. Is there a statement in the word that Jesus specifically, explicitly said, I want you to be rich? More of the things that he said was a warning about greed and about possession. He thought about not to worry. He thought about not to be anxious about anything in Matthew chapter 6. He said, do not worry about life. Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will wear. And he said, look at the birds. They do not sow nor reap, yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. 
And he's talking about that, and he's talking about provision, yes. He's talking about our Heavenly Father being faithful in providing for our needs, yes. But is there really a scripture in the Bible that in Christianity, you have to have a lot of zeros in your bank account? Did he really make that statement and said, you know, if you follow me, you're going to be millionaires, brothers. You're going to be billionaires, in fact. If you are disciples, indeed, I'm telling you this, your bank accounts will be full. I mean, did he say that? He reminded them to watch out. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He's talking about the opposite. He's talking about a warning, in fact. Isn't it? He's talking about check your heart. Be on your guard. Watch out. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, in Proverbs chapter 4, he said, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Out of the heart really comes forth your life's concern, your motives. Same with Jesus. He said, watch out. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, watch out. Tell the other person, be careful. Be careful of your heart. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. When we study the word godliness, in the Greek it's called Eusebia. So if your name is Eusebio, it means godliness. It means an awesome respect accorded to God. Devoutness, piety, godliness. Somehow these false teachers tried to link doctrinally godliness with wealth. That if you are godly, you are wealthy. But Jesus said, be on your guard. I'm just reading what Jesus said from the scriptures. We sometimes hear these statements, poverty is a sin and a bondage and a curse. Is that statement true? Or another statement that says, wealth is God's blessing on the godly. And if you are poor, then you are not blessed. Or another statement that goes, if we believe and claim the promises of God, then we will prosper financially. Believe it. Name it. Claim it. You'll have it. Or maybe this statement, if you tithe, you will get more money because you can never outgive God. Did we say that here in the pulpit? No. <laughs> I hope not. Of course, there's truth somehow in these teachings. There's a semblance of truth in those statements that I have just read. You know, you read the blessings of God in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and God indeed promises people, if you obey, these are the blessings that I will give you. Blessed will you be when you come in. Blessed will you be when you go out. Blessed will be the fruit of your labor. Blessed will be the fruit of your womb. So he, he actually said those things. He talked about being the head, not the tail. He talked about being a lender, not a debtor. 
And then he said that if you disobey, this will be the curse. These are guides for the people of God in Israel. But that these are not a description that if you are not rich, that you are somehow disobeying God or that you are somehow cursed. I know people who are really meager in income, not exactly rich, in fact, lower than poverty line. Yet the way they live their lives, they're godly people. They love God. They worship God. But yet they're not rich. We need to be careful to label our lifestyle as blessed because we have and cursed because we don't have. You know, I grew up in this middle class area. But yet, if we're not careful, we can actually be swept away by the culture that we live in. Another thought is the temptation to get rich. We find that in verse 9. And then he said, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Everybody say a snare or a trap. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So the Apostle Paul continues his argument of the dangers, the warning of unhealthy desire for wealth. You know, in fact, Paul uses some strong words here. He used the word temptation. He said the word trap or snare. He used the word harmful desires. If you go back to the previous verse, verse 9. He said ruin and destruction. But those who desire to be rich, now if I'm going to ask today, how many of you want to be rich? Don't raise your hand anymore. <laughs> it's okay to want to be rich, okay? As long as that's not your idol. A temptation is an attempt to make one do something wrong. Remember the time when Jesus was tempted by the enemy? He was fasting in the desert for 40 days. There's three temptations. One temptation in Matthew chapter 4, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and splendor. And he said, all these I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. It's temptation. Even Jesus himself was tempted, but he countered with the word of God. Paul used the word trap and a snare, a device used to catch animals. You know, those who are eager to get rich fall into a trap. Maybe there's a reason why we have so many controversies with get-rich-quick schemes. People just do not learn that if you receive a promise that you can have more money, more than the normal return of investment, maybe it's wise to think again and look at the source because it may be a trap. Or a snare. Even the word plunge was used here. The word plunge is used normally, it's used for swimming or it's used underwater, right? Plunge. Like in diving. Those who are eager to get rich, they plunge into ruin. 
and destruction. It's a picture of either a sinking ship or a person who's drowning with all his wealth that he wants, that he is clasping to, and he couldn't swim. And what he's saying is, I want more. And he's being plunged at the bottom. Verse 10, a very familiar verse for many of us. For the love of money is a root of all evil. Money itself is not bad. How many of you have money right now? Please raise your hand. How many of you hope you have more money? Wala na natatasang kamay. Grabe naman si Pastor. Ikakabalik lang, pinapagalitan kami kaagad. Sorry, this is the topic of our new series. And we're not here to ask more money from you. We're here to remind all of us the real importance of what, it is to, what does it mean for us to be blessed. It is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. Don't miss out the word love of money. Money itself is neutral. Money is important. Money is a tool. I wish we have more money so that we can advance the kingdom of God. I wish we have more money so that we can actually plant more churches, support missionaries. I wish we have more money so that you and actually send your kids to schools and they can actually you know, be the best citizens of this country and be a blessing wherever they are. But it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Ano ba talaga yung love of money? What does it mean for us to love money? Eager for money is what love for money is. An insatiable desire to get wealth and not stop at all costs. Whatever it is, I'm not going to stop even to the cost of me losing my family, losing my relationships, losing my reputation, losing my standards, losing my values. I don't care because I will be rich no matter what. That is love of money. And what's the effect of the love of money? The Bible says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. And pierce themselves. Can we show that again? The verse 10. And have pierced themselves with many griefs. In ESV, with many pangs. With many panga. In fact, this is referring to believers. People eager for money have wandered from the faith. They were once in the faith, and because of their eagerness to have money, they wandered from the faith. They got lost somewhere. Have you ever gotten lost? It's, fine. it's hard to find your way back thanks to ways. We say that we love God, but what do we do if the price is high enough? Many men and women have abandoned principles and values for the sake of having more wealth, justifying that it is for the family, it is for giving for the kingdom, yet they've compromised their standards. Jesus said, guard your heart against all kinds of greed. My last thought is this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
God wants us to be godly. Several times in this text, we have seen Paul said to Timothy about this word godliness. The word godliness was used by the false teachers in having their own personal financial gains, gain. But yet the Apostle Paul now qualified, you know, just the next verse, right after verse 5 is verse 6. And he said, well, these teachers, they're using godliness for their gain. But let me tell you this, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you are godly, how many of you are godly? Please raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Come on. Okay. You're godly. If you're godly and if you're content, how many of you are content? Please raise your hand. That's great gain. That's great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, the word contentment really speaks of having sufficiency or having enough. At some point in our life, you need to decide which of these two words will rule your life when it comes to having things. At some point in our life, which of these two words will describe the way you handle things or stuff or finances? What are those two words? Either more or enough. Our attitude towards wealth can always be more, kontipa more, or is it enough? One of the richest millionaires in the turn of the century, Rockefeller, was asked because he was the richest man in America during that time. And he was asked by someone, how much more millions do you want to make? And he said, just a little more because right now it's still not enough. Is there an endless pursuit of wealth that whatever it is that we have is not enough for us? Contentment really speaks about having enough wherever you are. However state or situation you have in life. You know, if your life is ruled by this word, more, no matter how much you get, you'll always want more. If you're receiving 10,000 monthly salary right now, you want more. If you're receiving 100,000 monthly, you'll still want more. If you're receiving a million a month, you will still want more. Because this word more is a statement of belief in your life. You know, there are plenty of millionaires who probably have everything that they have already and yet they want more. They just don't want to stop. And the other word you can choose is this word, enough. And if you choose to let the word enough rule your life when it comes to having things and no matter how much or how little you have, you will always be satisfied and content. Is this enough for you, this job? I'm content. In this station in my life, I'm content. I may not stop there, but 
right here, right now. Thank you, Lord. This is enough. I'm not talking about not aspiring for things. I'm not talking about not dreaming anymore. I'm not talking about working hard so that you can actually be promoted. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is, what I'm saying is, whatever situation or station we are in our life right now, whether in rich or in lack, this is enough. This is my lot in life. Even the psalmist David has seen this as a reality in his life. Psalm 37, 25, he said, I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. The author of Hebrews wrote this also in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has never has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Paul was not against wealth. He talked about two chapters of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And he said, I want you, to, you know, you, I pray that you will be blessed in every way so that in every occasion you may be generous. He talked about wealth. He talked about generosity. But he's amening or complying with the same guidance of Jesus. What he's saying is wealth is dangerously seductive. If we are not careful, we can be seduced by wealth. Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and he said this statement in Luke chapter 18, how hard it is for the kingdom, or the, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There's always a contrast in the teachings of Jesus. He taught his disciples to have faith in God, but he also taught his disciples to be careful in accumulating riches. Matthew 6.32 says, The pagans ran after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as, as well. What a kingdom paradox. People in the world are chasing, pursuing wealth, until they all get tired. What God is saying to us is, don't chase wealth. Let it chase you. Pursue righteousness. Pursue the kingdom of God. And all these things will be given to you. It's the opposite. Verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So you cannot serve both God and money. That's why the admonition of Paul to Timothy, as I come to a close, is in verse 11 and 12, we've read this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Flee from what things? Flee from the trap of the love of money. Flee from wanting more and not be satisfied with what God has provided for us. Flee from a wrong mindset of trust in wealth. And he said this, take hold of the eternal life 
to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pursue God and not money. You can per pursue the other one. I hope that as we live our life, we'll pursue God, the kingdom of God, every single day. As I come to a close, which word would you say characterizes your life? Is it more? Or is it enough? These two words or statements does not only refer to finances. Sometimes people would like to have more out of their marriage. They want to have more from their children. They want to have more from their job. They want to have more from their church. They want to have more from their whatever. You fill in the blanks. They have never learned to say, this is enough, and I have enough, and I am content. Godliness is definitely great gain if it is placed together with contentment. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.vickeryalabang.church. Thank you.